All right, welcome back everyone to the Lure Lab here on the Serious Angler Network. I am your host, Andrew Fole, and I can't believe that this is episode 15 already. It is flying by since we started this. There's been a ton of knowledge dropped. I hope everyone is enjoying um, all of our special guests that we're bringing on on a weekly basis to this point. And as you know, last week's episode, we chatted about wintertime and late wintertime chatterbait fishing and bladed jig fishing with Destin to Marion. He dropped a lot of knowledge on his favorite colors, what rod and reels to use. <clears throat> but today's show is going to be a great one. We have a Tennessee Valley guide coming on in Caleb Bell, who is a great friend of the Sirius Angler Network. And we are going to be talking a very specific niche technique down there that when I think of it, I think of like Dale Hollow Lake. And that's pretty much the only time that I've talked to people about this technique with. So I'm really excited to get um, Caleb on here to discuss the float and fly. Um, it catches a bunch of bass. It catches big bass. But before I keep rambling on here, we should get Caleb. What's okay. up, man? So, yeah, the float and fly. Like, it's um, when people think of it, right, it's more of a pan fish technique. Like, I do it for yeah, steelhead yeah, up here. Fishing. Yeah, crappy fishing because it's virtually just a little tiny jig yeah. morsel deal underneath the bobber. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So I figured nobody better to bring on than you to discuss the float and fly because Bailey was telling me about a little session you guys had where you absolutely waxed him with yeah. <laughs> So I was like, I all right. I've been in Michigan a couple times also on the oh. smallmouth up there. Smallmouth cannot stand a little black fly underneath the float. Well, that I was using a uh, on St. Clair, I caught the crap out of him on a, a zoom tiny fluke. Oh, eight ounce head underneath the float fly. That's that's awesome. Yeah, it was that awesome. is fun. So, um, before we get rambling on here, like, man, how are you? Like, how's everything going? Yeah, yeah, I don't. We have a lot of carryover guests from the Serious Angler Network, and they know the story. But how are yeah. you feeling and stuff? I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, you know, I've been out and been able to do my thing. I'm getting some energy back, some strength back, and stuff. The problem is my bones stopped healing um, somewhere along the line. I guess about something like 14 weeks ago, something like that. And I had another appointment today. They still haven't healed. So now tomorrow I have to kind of like run back in there, talk to a surgeon. They might have to do corrective surgery, which may involve a bone grab, may not. I don't know. And I've still got some issues going on with my knees and stuff. But It probably stinks when it gets cold. You know, the cold hasn't really bothered me all that much yet. Um, of course, I've always, I've always loved the cold. Like I don't, my hands don't get cold. I don't get cold. So yeah. You know, if I was a, a normal person, I probably would feel it. I, just, I feel it with low pressure, like, it, you know, thunderstorms coming in. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was I was in a car accident as a kid and broke my back and my jaw and everything. So I've already know what that feels like. And it's just kind of now I just have more places that. <laughs> that was just all over instead of. Yeah, just, just reverberate everywhere. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. So, uh, well, we should get back on topic here and digress yeah. a little bit. So what is a float and fly i know i described it slightly yeah. in the introduction but like what exactly is the float so, and fly? i'll give you so the original float and fly technique 
originated. I'm pretty sure it was in Dale Hollow where that technique originated. I know it's an East Tennessee type deal, but <clears throat> what it basically is and what most people conventional float and fly is a really, really long rod. Now, back in the day, you had to have all these custom made, but, you know, they make like Dobbins and some of these higher end brands make these longer spin rods now, which I'm a huge fan of for every technique. Like most of my spin rods are seven, three to seven, six. Mm -hmm. But historically, these custom rods would be eight, nine, something like that. You know, just super long. Crappy rods. Yeah, yeah, but castable. Mm. And then they'd have a three-way swivel to these little corks that they had that they would weight on both sides. And then on one side of the swivel would be going down to your actual fly. So that way you could tell if you had a lift by it or if you had a fish that was pulling that float under um, now it's evolved a lot since then. There's a lot of companies out there making weighted floats, center weighted floats and things like that for this technique. You can make them yourself just by cutting the wire on a float and taking the weight from the bottom of it, cutting the, the, the foam in half and then putting the weight in the middle. And so it just it does the same thing. Now I have gotten away from that. Like I don't, I don't need a super long rod. I don't need um, a lot of that stuff for the technique that I use. And it's something that I've always done crappie fishing because I, I know how to see a lift bite. Like if you get a, uh, a cylinder type floater, not a stick float, not a round float, but a cylinder, these longer floats with a, uh, a weight on the bottom, they'll tip as soon as you get a lift bite. They, even though they have a weight at the bottom, they still tip to the side. So if you know what you're looking for, you can still see the lift bite there. And on top of that, it's a slip float. So I can adjust that knot. Sometimes, I mean, I on Parksville for spotted bass, a lot of times I'll, when I throw a floating fly, it could be 15 foot under the float mm. on these bluff walls. You know, that's where the fish are. They're sitting in 25 and they're coming up to eat that fly at 15. Um, whereas on a lot of the other lakes, it might be seven, eight foot. You know, it'd probably be the deepest I'm going to have that um, throwing that technique on. So it, there's a, it's just a, I've lost my train of thought there. Don't you, don't you hate it when that happens? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah just yeah, so, so much information what I do coming basically out of With there, that yeah. slip float is I'm adjustable and I'll go with a, like a medium light rod. I really mm -hmm. like a two power rod. Now you could throw a seven, three, but like to me, like I've been using the uh, seven, six, seven, 62 Dobbin champion XP or the seven sixty. I think it's a seven sixty nine, nine inch rod. So seven foot nine. Um, so those are both awesome rods for that technique, similar to what you guys use with a hair jig, you know, there's yeah. longer, light action rods that's fantastic for the float and fly and you can do so much with it you know that's the thing it's like it historically also we had these flies you know and there was a few guys that tied them and it was certain feathers you had to use blah 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 and there's a whole bunch of flies out there now that you can buy i mean i use some cumberland pro lures i use some it's like some kind of dale hollow custom shop i can't remember the exact name of it but what i've really gone to the last few years is upsizing that technique. You know, historically these flies, you're talking something that's what an inch and a quarter, yeah. an inch and a half 
presentation. So I have a steelhead fly here that I tied yeah. up for steelhead fishing, and it's literally an inch and a yeah. half. So like probably something like that on like oh yeah, just a little in, head, right? Some kind of ninety degree head that will stand out, right? You want a balanced head. Um, so what I've gone to doing is getting the same, like a nice balanced crappie jig head with a sickle, sickle hook and then putting a zoom tiny flute on the back of that. And it's, so then you have a three inch presentation on the back of that. It's real small, it's real subdued, but it gives you a little bit more drawing power. And I've caught so many big fish, um, small mouth, large mouth, spotted bass, you name it. And there's so many situations you can use it in. So, and the drawing power for bigger fish is great with the three inch, but let's yeah. take a step back. You, you talked about the rod, right? Like, yeah. So the, talk about your overall setup, rod reel. Are you running braid? Is it like a mono oh, yeah, line yeah. to the float? Because, you know, braid and mono will float. So in yeah. my mind, you're not running fluorocarbon off the reel. So is it a braid to float to like a fluorocarbon leader? Is it a mono? So usually uh, what I have is about a 12, maybe 15 foot fluoro leader mm -hmm. um, usually five pound sunline sometimes seven pound like if i'm fishing for really big largemouth on chickamauga i'll use seven pound and then i'm usually going to either eight or ten pound braid 2000 to 2500 size spinning reels so is smaller and then one of these longer super lightweight rods so then you can just kind of hold it all day and you're not worried about you set your bobber stops in a way that you can easily cast, mm -hmm. you know, your bottom bobber stop, you know, you'll have two foot of line out. You can whip that thing out there. You can cast it a country mile really. And then when it hits, it'll push that line right through that slip float. And then you'll be at the depth that you want. And I would assume with the reel, you'd want something with a super smooth drag just because oh, yeah. of the super light line to yeah. fluorocarbon. And that's the exactly. other thing, like, when you're talking about the longer rod, it's really important to have a longer rod with a parabolic deep bend to it so that yeah. it can absorb that shock with that fluorocarbon line. That's five pound test. That's and it's so important too, just fighting really big fish. Like <laughs> if you're fighting big fish on light tackle, having that extra foot on the end of your rod makes a world of difference. That <laughs> fish and you know, spinning reel is not as fast as a bait caster either. Right. If you got that big smallmouth or spotted bass that's running at you 950 miles an hour <laughs> you know that long rod allows you to keep tension on that fish whereas in back in the day when we were using you know a six and a half foot ultralight or whatever we would have been using for that technique you'd probably unload the rod and lose the fish he probably lost a lot of fish back then okay. or it was too powerful of a rod and it would straighten those little tiny yeah Hooks exactly. out, which and open them up, and then they shake their head. And I know there was off. like a cult following of certain rod builders for this technique specifically. Mm. It was like that, you know, you had to go to this guy who knows a guy who gets you, you know, the eight foot floating fly rod that you need. And they were probably back in the day like ridiculously huh. expensive compared to everything oh, else because yeah, they're I'm sure custom made. And I, th I think that's a really cool point. I'm glad I thought that it was dale hollow i was talking to a, a buddy of mine recently and he's like the only place i've ever caught a fish on a float and fly is dale hollow and he's like i bet you we caught 120 smallmouth in a day float and fly yeah. fishing and he's like i'm pretty sure that's where it originated but i'm i'm glad you kind of like verified that in a way yeah like, yeah that was awesome <laughs> it, it's 
It's so crazy, like the lakes that I've used this on now. I mean, I've used it on Highland Reservoir lakes, like Parksville Lake, big spotted bass. Used it on Dale Hollow. Used it on uh, like Chilhowee. Some of these, like, they're Highland Reservoirs, but they're smallmouth lakes. And then Nickajack, Chickamauga, Watts Bar. Um, I've, I've used it all the way down in Pickwick. And yeah. caught the crap out of up in Michigan, too. I mean, heck, I was up there. The only place I haven't thrown it that I've been recently is Florida. That might be a little difficult to throw in Florida. You could probably get away with like a five inch yeah. type bait underneath the float. You have to go with like a big fill bobber or something. But yeah, it's um I think the common theme here though is if you have a lake with bait fish in it, you yeah. can probably catch fish. There'll be on the float uh, fly. some kind of key time. So some cool situations that I've seen this technique work in. You know, traditionally, you're fishing a bluff wall or a 45-degree bank, some kind of vertical structure usually, and you're throwing that thing out, and you're almost dead-sticking it. I mean, it's a really slow technique. You just, like, let the wind drift you around, let the wind drift the bob around. You might pop it very lightly a few times, but most of it is just, like, the drawing power pulling that fish up to eat it, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's completely different than that in a lot of other lakes. Like, you so Chickamauga, the way I'm usually using it is I'm way up river and I'm on the main river channel where these fish go in the wintertime, they pull out to these ledges. You see, that's where I catch, you know, those big fish on the live bait videos and all that. They're all there. They pull out to these little creek mouths and stuff. Nice thing about the current is it's going to push your boat, right? You can push way down through there. It's just same thing with my live bait deal. You can't cast live bait a bunch. Yeah. So when you get in that yeah, current, you're just kind of drifting there, with it. In a, in you a drift. A... And that's exactly what I started doing with a float and fly through there, letting it drift down right along the break at the optimal depth and just popping it every once in a while. And that drift is so, so powerful. I mean, in tail races, like below, you know, Chickamauga Dam, below Watts Bar Dam, like any tail race where – these fish are using different eddies and current breaks to feed that float and fly. If you fire it over there to it, it'll go into those. Like it'll literally hunt the fish out for you by using the current to your advantage. Mm. So you just drift with it and let it do its thing. So it, you bring up a common thing here where you're talking about current. We actually have great Lakes smallmouth here in Buffalo that run the creeks in the spring. Yeah. And we basically fish for them with a float and fly on like a 10 foot steelhead yeah. rod but yeah. the bait we use the big one is a three inch berkeley power bait twitch tail minnow yeah it's, it's, pearl it's, white and it's the same thing it. that i'm throwing you yeah know? that that was gonna be my question is have you ever tried like any of the power bait stuff or scented baits now that you're switching over to like soft plastics on the float and fly have you tried any scented baits you no know, i haven't really because it's one of those things it's like when the fish breathe on it i know right away yeah and you've got such a tiny presentation and a tiny hook that you just pull right into them. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know if there would be as much benefit. I feel like in, in lakes where you have a lot more clarity, it might be more beneficial. You know how those fish will kind of get in a scent trail and come back to it? Yeah. Whereas here, these fish are like keyed in a lot of times just with their lateral line. And got stuff, it. just to, the vibrations and stuff. They don't see as much as a lot of those other fish. Makes a lot of sense. You have my... Um my head turning on like 
where can I target smallmouth on Lake Erie with the float and fly under like 20 foot of water? Like, yeah. I think I want to try it this spring. Right. If you have a boulder or something out there, it's such an easy technique or say you're fishing in a marina. Yeah. You just set that float and you pitch it all the way. You can actually skip a float and fly. No, most people don't understand that, but you can skip if you push that bobber all the way towards the, the fly there. <laughs> you can skip it up under stuff and you can put it back in these marinas and things like that and catch the crap out of fish underneath mm. those. Cause you just suspend it right in front of their face. I mean, that's, what's great about it. So just like a jerk bait, you know, it's something that sits in that fish's zone too long and like a big territorial fish. Like if you've got a boulder out there or like a small section of a rock vein, like this is the cast fire that thing out there, set it to depth about three feet above where you think the fish are going to be. And just mm. let it hang there. I guarantee you they'll come up and just whack it. And my my clock, like my the light bulbs are going off in the brain. So before we run here, Caleb, I appreciate you coming on, but I do have one final question for you. Yeah. It is the do it molds juice of the show, right? So yeah. what is one super juicy point you would tell our viewers who want to try and fish the float and fly for the first time? I'll give you probably my sneakiest technique when it comes to float and fly. <clears throat> and there's a few people that talk about it. There's not a whole lot of people that even know about it in the float and fly community. Oh no. And yeah, <laughs> you're not yeah, going to make anyone mad by this. Like, are you? Accident. <laughs> and then was told that it was like a select group of guys that were doing it, but it's called sinking the float. Mm -hmm. And what you do <clears throat> is you use a float that's slightly undersized for the weight that you've got on your jig and so what will happen if you throw that thing out there and it gets down to the bobber stop and you don't touch it at all it'll slowly fall but if you pop it at all it rises right back up so if you keep it moving you can keep it right on top of the water the float right up on top as soon as you stop it bait just it's yeah you get a fish to... fish that are nipping at it or you've got fish that are super sketchy you work that thing to them and then you slow sink it on them and in the worst conditions dead of winter those fish cannot stand that it's just like you know how we always wait our jerk baits a little bit more so we can get that slow mm -hmm. slow fall it's the exact same thing You're using oh, that man. float to slow drop that thing on them Ooh. it's basically a damiki rig that you know you're you can fish away from the boat yeah. i mean that's pretty much the, the probably the easiest way to describe that technique <laughs> Yeah, it's like resonating with me too because I remember watching like a lot of like they use a lot of bobber, slip bobber presentations for a lot of different species of fish. Yeah. Another fish that they do this with a lot is like a walleye where they'll use to float yeah. with a jig head and a leech. Yeah, they'll yeah. fish it all the way down to like 30 foot of water. Exactly. You can do the <laughs> same thing with this. Yeah. It's um. So when you have those fish that it's like, hey, these fish are on a boulder in 25 foot of water, but I can't get on top of them and drop. Otherwise they won't eat. You take something, you know, a lot of guys are like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, in the bass masters, they throw the drop shot over there and they just kill it and leave it there. Yeah. You do the same thing with that floating flight. So if you could actually suspend your bait right above that cover, make those fish come up to eat it. I wonder fish. why you never see the float and fly in like too many turns. I feel like I've seen it on like FLW tournaments, but it's no. crazy. It's just like, and and I've won tons of tournaments on it, and uh, people are like, when it gets real tough and nobody can catch fish, like a lot of times you get out around schooling fish in the fall and you can catch 30, 40 fish a day with yeah. that thing. 
they're that's what they're feeding on. I can mm-hmm. see it being like extremely effective. This is my last point before I let you go, yeah. but I can see it being extremely effective when you get like the year of the young bait fish, like even in the summertime. Oh, yeah. You're the young bay fish when the water's real hot. Everything should be moving fast, but it's so hot that the fish get a little bit lethargic yeah. because or they're schooling and like yeah. there's stuff that's stunned. You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. that that easy meal that floats just below those white bass, yeah. and that's what Big Mama eats. Yeah, unless the white bass get it first, but yeah, yeah, sure usually the white bass will eat the floating fly, and you're reeling it in, and a freaking eight pounder will eat that, and you're like, <laughs> great, not landing that one. With yeah, yeah. We but you always prayer, try, but... you know, you yep. let them have line, count to 493, reel <laughs> into them, and then, you know. He try. just opens the mouth and he's like, yep, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, it's like, not today. Yeah. Get so, your semi-digested white bass back. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, Caleb, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. I look forward to getting you on here more in the future because I know there's a ton of techniques that you excel at and I hope yeah. the guide business continues to go well for you. You have oh, it's been, been so fun. We've had so many bags, giants. 30 pounds. It's, huh. been, it's been silly. And that I'm might... excited because it's supposed to start getting cold again, which means it's Less about time pressure. to see some more double digits. My client a couple days ago caught an 1186. We got to try to beat that one. Yeah, I might have to come down there and pay you for a couple days. No, nah, just come <laughs> on. Come on, man. <laughs> Side. We bring Bailey down again. Yeah. Poor like, guy. He got his butt kicked last time by Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was so funny, too, because we were drifting backwards. You know, I was controlling the boat in the current. Yeah. And Bailey was in the back of the boat. And Alex was in the front. So all those fish saw Bailey's shad <laughs> first. And it, it was just like literally 10 to 1. They were. He eating. gave them the scent trail. And then they and saw like, I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, literally, you're pulling the fish up to his foot. I mean, but I mean, at one point, Alex caught a 10 pounder. It's like 1073. And their floats were literally that far apart. And it still took Alex's. <laughs> it could have been just like Bailey had too much of a nervous twitch. Well, so he, he just, was moving. He reeled up, took the shad off, clipped the hook, and started fishing at 2.8 or something. Like, <laughs> he's like, I'm done. <laughs> That's hilarious. That that sounds like Bailey to me, though. He loves that little finesse swimmer. So oh, man, I caught him on that today. It was jealous. so fun. Yeah, I'm itching to get the boat back out here soon, hopefully. But uh, buddy, I'm gonna let you go here, and we're gonna sounds log good, off. So you have a good night. We'll chat soon. All right. Thank you for sounds everything, good, buddy. Bye, buddy. See we'll see you. All right, thanks everyone for tuning in to this week's episode here on the Lure Lab where we talked about float and fly fishing. Um, As you heard with Caleb, who is a guide down on Chickamauga and all the other lakes in that area, um, it catches them. It straight catches them, largemouth, smallmouth, spotted bass. Um, If you guys are looking to book a guide trip and get on some really big fish, he is the guy that you want to book a trip with down there in Tennessee. But as always, if you're tuned into YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. Hit the thumbs up. Let us know if you've ever used the float and fly technique. I am intrigued and maybe even what your setup is. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Helps us be seen to more bass heads so we can have a larger reach. Uh, We greatly appreciate it as always. And be on the lookout for next week's episode. It's going to be a good one. 
So stay tuned and we will see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>